Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. That's on page 1014 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It really does encourage us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. I'm thankful not only to be here, but I'm thankful to be able to say good morning. Last Sunday evening was the first time I've ever stood before a, a crowd and could not say a word out loud. Uh, and and uh, it's amazing what I am capable of taking for granted. And I am thankful uh, to have the opportunity and the ability and the privilege and uh, the responsibility uh, to stand before you today and open God's Word. To all of you mothers, happy Mother's Day. I realize in saying that, that because of some of you and the challenges and the losses and the disappointments that you've gone through, that that doesn't ring to be positive this morning. And I want you to know that for you, uh, we believe in the words of our Lord that says to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to weep with those who weep. And so we uh, sympathize with you and we care uh, even about you and your pain. Uh, but for others here this morning, the very idea of motherhood is a very wonderful and positive thing. Maybe it's your first time to be a mother. Uh, maybe you have the opportunity to spend the day with your mother today. Maybe you can look back over a lifetime and think of the many and numerous ways that you have been blessed by your mother. Uh, maybe your heart is just filled to capacity of wonderful blessings that your mother brought into your life. When we think about this simple question, where would you be without your mother? Again, I realize that if mother... Hood, for you as a child, motherhood was a very negative thing, you'd have a very different answer to this. For many of us in this room, we could say that our mothers were, were a jewel to us. They were one of the greatest blessings that God ever gave us. And if that's the case, you could probably answer this question all day long. You could talk on and on about where you would be without your mother. And, and you don't really know for sure, but you wonder. I, I could mention just a few for me personally. I think about without my mother, I couldn't have been that elementary student that every time raised his hand and said, my mama will do that. She'll, she'll bring the cake and the punch and decorate it any way you want it and she'll come spend the day. That's, that's fine, my mom will do that. Or not that I'm a perfect gentleman by any stretch, uh, but I think about, I know I wouldn't be the gentleman that I am today because all throughout my years growing up, there was constant training, rebuking, and education on how a gentleman would live. I also think about my perception of average. I remember one time mom asking me about how I did on something and I told her and she seemed to be disappointed and I corrected mother. I said, mom, that's average. 
That's what everybody else is doing. And I remember she was washing dishes and she turned around, she dried her hands with that dish towel and she pointed to me and she said, son, average is just as close to the bottom as it is to the top. I never looked at average the same after that. Where would I be without my mother? I can honestly say I wouldn't be a preacher. Uh, my mother was the one who taught me how to speak. She coached me. She trained me. She taught me how to emphasize things, how to pause. She taught me all of the mechanics that I know about speaking. But most importantly, most importantly, I don't think I'd be a Christian without my mother. I think about the instruction that she gave me about God from my earliest memories. My earliest memories were in a big green rocking chair and every morning mother talking to me. And oftentimes, she was talking to me about God. That's my earliest memories. We'd, we'd sit in that chair and we'd laugh together. We'd pray together. We'd study God's word together. And that's the way I began every morning of my youth. And I am so thankful for that fact that ed that education and that instruction and that training never stopped all of the days that I was at home. Where would we be without our mothers? When we word it like that, it's almost as if we're saying, mothers always come to the rescue. And in a sense, they do. They meet us where we are to help us get to where we need to be. And if we didn't have them to help us do that, we then throw up our hands and say, where would we be? I, I need someone to rescue me. And the reality is not every child has the opportunity to enjoy that. And so we have to appreciate the fact in Psalms 27 and 10 that God steps in at those points. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. What a beautiful thought. And so then we stop and say, well, what is it that God wants mothers to do? Well, you remember the first time that mothers and fathers are mentioned in the Bible was Genesis, the second chapter in verse 24. And remember he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the first time mothers are mentioned in the scripture, it's mentioned under the concept that mothers are raising their children to leave. In other words, they're meeting them at birth, very, very much dependent upon the mother. But yet the mother is looking down the road to say, how is it that I can have this child ready to leave home? How is it that I can have this child to be mature, to be dependable, to be responsible? Well, a quick insight as we make our way back toward the New Testament and, and then even back to our text in 1 Corinthians, that is where we're studying. I just want to give you some things to think about. In Luke, the second chapter, we get insight to how a mother prepared her child. And it's one of the greatest success stories that we have about motherhood. You remember it was Mary. She raised the only perfect child that's ever been. And it's interesting, lest we take it all for granted, that it was just Jesus that did it. You remember they went down to the temple at 12 years, Jesus being 12 years of age. And you remember it's there that they finally found him after searching for three days. And then they decide to leave there together. And I want you to notice in Luke 2 and 51, then he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Dwell on that for a moment. In other words, at 12 years of age, he went back to Nazareth and there he was subject to his mother and father. In other words, they continued to lead him. They continued to train him. They continued to be the parents to him. 
Well, what happened? Look at the rest. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And notice this. And Jesus increased. And I want you to note that word increased. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here's a young man that was subject to Mary and to Joseph. And the result was he increased. And the word increase there, it is to grow. But when you really get specific with it, it's a little more detailed than that. It's the idea of to advance. You know, when an, when an army is fighting and trying to take on territory, instead of, we use the expression, lose ground. When, when an army is retreating, they're losing ground. When an army is successful, they are advancing. That's the idea of the word increase here. Jesus was at one point of maturity at 12 years of age. But when he went back, he stayed under the, the tutorage of his mother and his father. And the result was he continued to gain ground in maturity. He matured how? In wisdom. His mother and father helped him to learn what he needed to learn. Also, notice it was not only in wisdom, but also in stature, physically. I guess she prepared him some biscuits and gravy. I'm not for sure exactly what it is that she did to help him, but his parents helped him to grow physically. But then also they helped him to grow spiritually in favor with God. What a beautiful thought. We can and must help our children grow closer to God. Parents, do we get that? If our children are going to increase, if they're going to advance, if they're going to take on new territory of understanding so that they are more mature in their relationship with God at 14 than they were at 12, parents are to help them do that. So the final thing was socially, to help them grow in the relationships with others. How is it that, that we can achieve that? What's well, interesting to look at a text that although it's not simply about mothers, if we were to play the word association game, it would probably ring clear to you why this text came to my mind on Mother's Day. Number one, we're studying through 1 Corinthians right now, looking at problems and looking at the solutions that God would give kingdom living. We want the Lord to reign in our life. That doesn't mean that we're free from problems. That doesn't mean that we do not have growing to do. You know how word association goes. If I say peanut butter and, you immediately think jelly. If I say red, white, and, you immediately think blue. Now I'm not saying it's that given here, but I want you to notice when I read words like this, I couldn't help but think of motherhood speak to you. These are the words in the text that was just read a few minutes ago. Babes, feed you milk, behaving like. You see that language? What Paul is doing is in the third chapter, he's writing to a group of people that he knew when they were born into Christ. And now think about a timeline. He knew it was time for them to be more mature than what they were at the present state. In other words, he's going to write to them almost like a parent saying to children, it's time for you to grow. The truth is he's implying it's past time for you to grow. 
You should have already been more mature in this area. And so let's think about this passage in Corinthians and let's see what it is that God would want us to learn about our own maturity. And if you're a mother or a father, what is it that he would expect for you to help others grow? If you're an elder, how is it that he would expect you to help the church to grow? If you're a Bible class teacher, how is it that God would expect you to teach the class to help others to grow and to mature? Look again here at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. I'd like for you to notice the first three verses as, as we notice this, this beautiful teaching here. Notice as he says in verse one, and I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, do you notice that this verse begins with the word and? We know that when the word and is said, it usually is tying back to something that is previously said. Well, if you have your Bible open, we don't have it on the slide here. But if you have your Bible open, just look back. The last verse of the second chapter, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And so what he's doing is he's saying, this is what we want. This is the measure of, of fullness. We want the mind of Christ. And so now he's saying, I wanted to come to you and I wanted to speak to you on a spiritual level. I have the mind of Christ. I wanted to speak to others that have the mind of Christ. But he says, the problem is you're immature. I wanted to talk to you like you have the mind of Christ, you know, spiritual things. And the fact is you're carnal minded. You're not ready for the spiritual things. Can you imagine going to someone who has been homeless and lived on the streets all their life. Now I realize some homeless people haven't been on the streets all their life, but for this illustration, I want you to imagine someone that's been homeless and lived on the streets for much of their adult life. And I want you to imagine just walking up to them and saying, hey, I wanna help you out. I, I wanna help you get on your feet. Let me just tell you a couple of things you're gonna to need to do. You need to get a job and you need to buy a house. By the way, do you want that mortgage to be 15 or 30 year fixed? Can you imagine how a homeless person look at you at that point? They'd be like, they'd have nothing to say. Why? You're talking about something that is far beyond their understanding. The idea of holding a regular job, the idea of owning a home, and then the idea of how are you going to finance it? Do you realize what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, I wanted to come into town and I wanted to talk with you about spiritual things. And if I were to do that, you would just kind of look at me like a deer in the headlight. Look, you wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about because you have not matured. But notice the second thing that he says, and it's in verse two. It's not only how he wanted to talk to them, but notice he also wanted to feed them. I fed you with milk and not with solid food until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. So he wanted to give them something of depth and substance of scripture. And they were not able to do that. They're still on the milk. You remember Nicodemus in John the third chapter, Jesus says, you're gonna to have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord gives us the analogy, the beautiful fact that when someone is baptized into Christ, they are a babe. They start out on milk. Now note this, for a babe that has just been baptized into Christ to be on milk, and in that sense, to be immature is perfectly acceptable. It's just like looking at physically a newborn baby and say, they're drinking milk and that's it. 
And you'd say, that's fine. They're a newborn babe. But what if that child is three or four years old and someone says, you know, that still the only thing that they, they eat or drink is milk. You say, there's something wrong with that. That's what Paul is saying here. It's time for you to be beyond. I want to talk with you about depth, spiritual things. All you want to do is deal with fleshly things, carnal. I want to talk with you about the, the meat of the word. All you're ready to do is just stay on the milk of the word. We're not going to take the time to develop this, but this intrigues you. Make a note. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 15, 16. I'm sorry, verse 13, 14. Uh, verse 12, 13, and 14 deals with the fact that there was a time that they ought to be teachers, but they weren't ready to teach. And the reason was that, the, that they were not ready for the meat because they were still on the milk. And because of that, they couldn't discern between good and evil because they hadn't exercised their senses. It's a beautiful fact. And so just think about that as we go back here to what Paul is saying. So number one, he says in verse one, there are things I want to talk with you about spiritually you weren't ready for because you're thinking carnal. Number two, there are things I wanted to study with you. Meat of the word and you weren't ready to study it because you're on the milk of the word. But then notice number three. So he's talked about, think about a mother. I want to talk to you. I want to feed you. And then what all good mothers talk about. They also talk about how you're going to behave yourself. And that's what he does in the third verse. And he says, the problem is there's some real issues in your behavior. Look, for you are still carnal. That's fleshly and temporal is what that means. And for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He's saying, I wanted you to behave spiritually. I wanted you to behave like Christ, but instead you're behaving like men. Okay, how is it that someone would behave carnally like men? He says, they're becoming envious of each other. They're becoming strife-filled. Now notice this is a building. If you're envious of each other, it's gonna to lead to strife. And that envy that leads to strife is ultimately gonna do what? Lead to division. Now, if you were here last Sunday morning, you know we talked about the fact that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter in verse 10, everything in the first four chapters ties back to verse 10. That's a passage and a plea for unity. He wants us to have the same mind and the same judgment and that there be no divisions among us. And that's what he's dealing with right here. Here. Now, with that in mind, I want to just pause here for just a moment. I want you to think, in your families, do you regularly deal with envy and strife? I know if you do, the immediate thought is, but it's somebody else's fault. But listen, if your families constantly deal with it and then you go to work and you deal with it at work and then you deal with it among friends, I want to just pause right there and ask you, who's the common denominator in all those? You're the common denominator. And you say, well, maybe you might be part of the problem. Okay, why? Why is it that some people regularly have strife and division in their life? Now, I know from a secular standpoint, we would say, well, let's just talk about behavioral issues. And what I'm begging you to understand through this study, through 1 Corinthians for the next several weeks and for the past few weeks, as I'm begging you to realize that there is a depth in our life where all of the issues of our life stem from. And if you're having problem with strife and envy, the problem is not strife and envy. That is what reveals the deeper problem. 
And the deeper problem is what we can see in this chapter. And it, it's going to deal in a sense that you're immature. Spiritually, it's time to grow. Listen, spiritually immature people. This is the word of God. God points out that spiritually immature people will always struggle with envy and with strife and with divisions. And you say, okay, how's it going to look? It can look as innocent as this. If you will, go to the fourth, fifth, sixth chapter. Uh, verses of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Just, we, we read earlier uh, down through the fourth and let's go to the fourth and even further. Notice, you say, okay, well, how is their strife and division going to unfold? He says, well, some of you are going to say I'm a Paul and some are going to say I'm a Paulus. And he says, are you not carnal? You see what he's doing? He's saying the very fact that you would divide under these men proves you're not spiritual. You're not feeding on the meat of the word. You're behaving like men. Why? because you're dividing underneath these men. Let's keep reading verse five and six. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, now notice this, as the Lord gave to each one. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, so you wanna line up behind Apollos and somebody else wants to line up behind Paul. And he says, you're gonna give reasons why you love Apollos. He says, if they're good and righteous reasons, where did he get those things? If Apollos is such an eloquent speaker, who gave him the ability to speak eloquently? God did. If Paul is such an intelligent man, who gave Paul the ability to learn? God did. So you see what he's saying is, whenever we're thinking spiritually, what do we do? We do not go around and feel the need to compare everybody. Look, I know just in saying this, I'm gonna step on a lot of toes because it's our nature before we mature. But right now, if, if your heart was revealed, some of you would say, sure. I have an elder that's my favorite elder and I pick out the characteristics I like about that elder and because of that, I look down upon other elders because I always compare them and say, well, he's not like so-and-so. You know what that reveals? It reveals your human nature and your spiritual immaturity. When we mature spiritually, we see no need to compare people to people. We look at the positive benefits and say, isn't that awesome? God gave James Whitaker strength just like he gave Pat Hackney strength just like he gave Albert England strength. I am so thankful that God gave every one of our elders tremendous strengths. It helps us as a congregation be better. Immature people, literally, and this breaks our hearts, and some of you here are, are I hate to use the word victims, but you're kind of victims of this. Immature parents do that with their own children. They literally pick favorites among their children and they compare one child to another. Why can't you be like so-and-so? This one child you're favoring, who, who gave them that ability to be positive in that way? The same God who gave your other child an ability to be positive in another way that you're not even noticing. And someone says, why are you not noticing it? You're not noticing it because you're spiritually immature. Spiritually mature people do not feel the need to compare people to people. It only leads to envy, to strife, and to division. Paul is dealing with that in Corinth and he says, if I could just get you to work on your envy, to work on your, no. He says, if I could get you to work on your spiritual growth, in other words, Paul is implying here, if I could just get you to mature, we wouldn't have to deal with envy. And if we don't have to deal with envy, we're not gonna have to deal with strife. 
And if we don't have to deal with envy and strife, we're not going to have to deal with division, at least in this concept that he's dealing with here. And so it's a beautiful and a challenging thing. I think about, I think about when I was a, and I don't say this to say now I've got it all figured out, but you know, it's easy to look back and see your past mistakes. And I think back when I was a young father, it used to make me uncomfortable to see another young father that looked like they were doing a better job being a father than I was being a father. And I could be like real comfortable and happy to be around the fathers that I felt like wasn't doing as good a job as I was doing as a father. But then if there's somebody doing that I felt like a better job, I'd find myself being uncomfortable and be like, well, and, and you know what I started doing? That human nature, I started looking down on them. I started picking that good father apart. Well, he ought to do this. He ought to, I'd do that better than him. And I don't like admitting that to you. But if it help you to realize how, oh, I can't say that word, how silly and how ridiculous it is for us, for us to think. Because think about it. What if right now you're sitting on the pew, you're a mother and you're sitting on the pew with another mother about your age and has children about your age. Now think about it. If we were spiritually mature, what would we want? If we were spiritually mature, we would want her to be the very best mother God has ever created her to be because not only is that going to be a blessing for her, it's going to be a blessing for her children. And you know what? Her children are probably going to be friends with your children. And what do you want? You want your children to have friends that are spiritually strong, that are good and great kids so that they can help your children in companionship and, and just in friendship. And you know, people talk about if I could go back, I assure you, if I could take the knowledge I have now and go back in time, I would look at my children's friends' parents in a different light. Because for the first few years, I didn't. And then for the last several years, I have. And it changes everything. Why? Why does it change everything? Because it's verses of living an immature life and living a mature life. And so what does the Lord call us to do? The Lord says, if you're going to stay on the milk, just know that you're going to start looking at things carnal. And as you look at things carnal, you're going to compare people to people. But if you will start feeding on the meat of the word and start looking at things from a spiritual standpoint, you're going to start seeing the way God has blessed people. And you're going to appreciate the blessings God has given you. You're going to appreciate the blessings God has given your spouse, your children, your friends, your friends' children. And all of a sudden, the need to compare isn't there, which doesn't fuel the envy and it doesn't fuel strife and division. Well, where does all this come from? Remember a while ago, we said in Luke 2 and 52 that Jesus increased in those things. I want you to notice this verse right here and then we'll start closing all this up. Look at verse six. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You see what Paul is begging them to see? Paul is begging them to see, look, I came along and if I did something good in your life, be thankful I did something good. But if Paulus came along and did something good, don't divide over us and compare. Be thankful that Apollos did something good. But note this, no matter what good I did and no matter what good Apollos did, it was God who gave the advancement. 
If you have grown spiritually, it's only because of the blessing of God that you've been able to grow spiritually. And so it's not pat yourself on the back and look how great I am. Now I'm more spiritually mature. The more spiritually mature we come, the more humble we are also to realize it's God that gives that increase. And so as our children grow spiritually, if we are a spiritual parent, what do we know? It's God that gave that increase. And if their friends and their parents grow, it's God who gives that increase. If our elders grow, it's God who gives that increase. If us as a congregation, we grow, and I'm not talking about just a number here, I'm talking about spiritually in our maturity, it's God who gives that increase. So where can all of this happen? I wanna show you this in verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, but then tonight we'll come back and try to put some of this back together. But I want you to notice in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, in other words, worldly wisdom, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. You see what Paul's doing here? He says, I wanna take you back and I want you to think about what are you going to live? If you want to live by the standard of the world and you want to do things where the world would say that's wise, or do you want to come and live under the kingdom reign and under the kingdom, him reigning in your life, you're going to have the wisdom of God. Wisdom of the world, wisdom of God. The world is going to look at the wisdom of God and say it's foolishness. God's going to look at the wisdom of the world and say it's foolishness. So you see what he's saying here. You got to make a decision. You stand with the wisdom of God, the world's going to think that you're foolish. And right now we could talk about how, and maybe tonight we could get into a little bit, but right now you could bring up the topic of abortion, you could bring up the topic of homosexuality, you could bring up the topic of the role of women, and overwhelmingly the world would talk about how narrow-minded and bigoted and etc. that we are. Why? It's this being lived out. The wisdom of the world looks at God's teachings as foolish. Even the very design of the family. You say, well, in our family, here's what we want. Do you expect the world to applaud that? The world is not going to applaud that. They're going to look at it and say, that is foolishness. And so then that brings us again to verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men. So are we going to boast in God or are we going to boast in men? And then in 23, and you are Christ and Christ is God. All right, so put your thinking cap on and give me about two minutes and this is your lesson uh, for today, this morning. Look at this next slide. You remember this, this pyramid? The very base of our life is what we believe. Whatever we believe shapes our values and our convictions. And then everything becomes visible. Our behavior comes out of these things. So let's look at the chapter we just studied. Look at the bottom of this next slide. What do we believe? If we believe what we just read in 3 and 18, that the wisdom in the world is the way to live. I'm going to be wise in the world's mindset. Okay, what's that going to do? That's going to produce a value system that says, I care what men think. I want to make sure that I impress men. And so if it's Peter or Apollos or Cephas, I, I'm going to divide over them. And what, that's, what is that going to do? Now back to the first part of this chapter. We're going to be fleshly in our thinking and we're going to act like mere men. So that's our value system. So what does that look like lived out? Well, here's what it looks like lived out. In three and one, you're gonna see someone that all they ever study is the milk of the word. And it's gonna create envy, strife, and division. Now let's look at the next slide, the very same thing, just in the way Paul wants us to live it and God has given us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Number one, what if we became fools to the world? The world looked at us and said, you guys make no sense. Said, that's all right. 
God looks at us and says, we're living a life of wisdom. In other words, 3 and 23, we truly are going to live our life in Christ. Now keep in mind, this is our belief. We believe that. We are 100% content to be considered fools by the world. As long as God counts us wise, we want to live our life in Christ. What's that going to do? It's going to give us a different way of a value system and conviction. We're going to think like Christ would think, the mind of Christ. And in that, we're going to become spiritual. And then where does that lead? In the third chapter, in verse one, it leads to spiritual meat. Let me pause there. It leads to a spiritual thinking and it leads to a study that is deep. It is meat and that leads to unity and to peace. You see, the very, very thing here in the third chapter that he deals with in the first part that oftentimes we separate it out and we study it by itself. We miss the deeper issue. What he's saying is all this immaturity and this envy and this division is based upon your bottom tier of the pyramid, if you will. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the wisdom of man? Or are you going to follow the wisdom of God? Because that's what's going to lead you up to the first part of this chapter. So what did we learn today? Number one, we learned that mothers should lead children toward maturity. And you know, fathers should too. And, and elders and preachers and teachers should lead others toward maturity. It's what we should be concerned about. Number two, wisdom of God is considered foolishness to those who are carnal minded. We must grow comfortable with that. Number three, wisdom of God leads to maturity and unity. You want greater unity in a church family, you want greater unity in your physical family, you want greater unity with, first and foremost, with the Lord. It's gonna come through spiritual maturity. This morning, can we help you? Is there anything that we can help you take the next step closer to God? If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, if you're ready to be restored, if you don't really know what you need, but you know that you wanna live closer to God, we would love to just meet you where you are, study, talk, pray, Please let us know. We don't have all the answers within ourselves, but we have the word of God and God to lean upon who can give us the direction that we always need.